You know, I thought it was interesting and a little unfair when I looked at the schedule and I was coming right after the children's moment. Because how do you follow that? And then he did that to me. So uh, I think he's just trying to get me to tear up in front of you. And it kind of worked. Um, <clears throat> I, do have, I do have a little bit of introduction I would like to begin with, if that's okay. Uh, since some of you do know me, but most of you do not. Um, my name is Keith, and John and I have been friends for a long, long, long time. Uh, I, I have proof of that. I wish I would have brought it, but I have proof. I have pictures of John and I when we both had long hair back in the day. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And if you have never seen those pictures, you really should ask him to see those pictures. <laughs> but John and I go a long, long way back, and, uh, and I respect him more than he realizes and way more than you know. Um, and I am honored beyond belief to be asked to stand in his place today. Um, <clears throat> my wife, Teresa, is here with me. We've been married for 30 years, and she has seen me teach and preach thousands of times. And I told her when we got here that this is the one time in a long time where I felt nervous. But it's because of the respect I have for your pastor. And... Uh, and I know you respect him as well, and I also know he has well-earned some time off. And I'm, and I'm hoping he's enjoying that time. I also have great respect for this church. I have been here multiple times for different events, different things, mostly related to men's ministry, which is where my heart is. And, uh, and I respect the men in this church and the men's ministry, the consistency of it for so many years. But I do feel a bit of an obligation because I wasn't planning to talk about the redneck gospel this morning, but John brought it up. And uh, for those of you in the room who are rednecks, you're not offended by that term. For those of you who are offended by that term, let me explain. John mentioned I have a, what did he say, a fairly unique style. That style um, has been developed over the years. I believe God called me to teach and he equipped me to teach in a certain way to a certain group of people. Years ago, when I was teaching a Sunday school class that my brother-in-law attended for years, who, and my brother-in-law is one of my favorite people in the world, I could not have picked a better brother-in-law to marry my one and only sister. And uh, years ago, after Sunday school one morning, he came up to me at the front of the room, and he said, I love the way you teach, because you teach in a way that a redneck like me can understand. And that's always stuck with me. And then I realized over time that my influence, the, the adult male influence in my life growing up came from two rednecks, my uncles, my uncle Gene Moore, who lived in Cedar Springs, and my uncle James Green, who lived in Penelope. Some of you may have known my uncle James, but those men were my mentors, my idols, the men I looked up to, the, the two men who my entire life, each of those men had one job and one wife. Men of consistency. Men who would do anything for you. And they just lived out how being a man should be done in front of me. They, they loved their wives, they loved their kids, and they were just great men. I lovingly refer to them as rednecks. I wish I was one. But that is where the name comes from, and if you are offended by it, you're taking it the wrong way, because if I call you a redneck, that means I respect the heck out of you. 
I want you to know about this church, and John and I have talked about this recently. I was really, really proud of this church in 2013. And I'm not going to talk about all of that a whole lot this morning, but just know that the world was watching. And it was very uplifting to me that in the midst of all the tragedy that this community went through, that one of the first people I saw on television and one of the first voices I heard speak on behalf of the community was my friend John. And I think he did an amazing job of showing the world what people of faith, how they respond in the face of tragedy. And he and I had lunch a couple of weeks ago, and I told him so, and I've told him in the past, but I've reminded him of that. And I told him that the whole world saw what I saw. I saw it a little differently because I know him, but the world saw the resolve of this community played out through the life of this church and the way this church responded, even though this church was affected in many, many ways, physical and other. But John was a beacon of this community. I'll never forget because John and this church reminded the world that even in the face of tragedy, West is blessed. And you are. I'll let you know that John and I have been friends for a long, long time, but we are not the same. We are not the same person. Um, We have a lot in common. We have more in common nowadays than we did when we were growing up. He was a good kid. I wish I had some trash for you, but he was always the good kid. (laughs) We graduated from high school. He went on to college and got degrees and seminary and became a pastor. And about the time he came to this church to begin pastoring, I finally had built up enough of a testimony for God to get a hold of me. About the time he became pastor here, I gave my life to Christ. John and I had lunch a couple of weeks ago. We discussed today. One of the things that I always like to discuss with the pastor if I have that opportunity before I come preach at his church is, okay, give me some details. Tell me about what is expected. You know, how long do the people expect me to preach? How long before they begin to nod off? And that number varies a little bit. But John said, as long as I don't stand up here for more than an hour, you guys are okay. (laughs) I promise you, I will not be up here for an hour. I promise. Also told him about what I had planned to preach on today. Shared with him kind of the stories I was going to use, the scripture I was going to use, kind of the angle I was going. And he said, man, that sounds great. That would be great. We had lunch on May 24th. That date ring a bell to anybody? We were eating lunch when the news was breaking about what was happening in Uvalde. We did not hear it there. I did not hear about it till later, and obviously John did not either. So in the days that followed, I considered changing the sermon topic for this morning, but I believe that God needs us to be reminded that he is with us in the trenches of life. He's with us in the face of unspeakable unspeakable tragedy, chaos, and evil. And if anybody knows this, it's you. I want to begin this morning by looking at a couple of stories in the Old Testament that all of us are familiar with. I'm not going to read the stories. I'm going to sum up the stories. Because they're stories we all know. We've all read them. We've all heard them. We've all either taught them or been taught them over time. Even people who are not really, really what they would consider themselves to be Christians know these stories. 
Both stories are found in the book of Daniel, if you want to go there. We're going to begin in the book of Daniel, chapter 3, which is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is a familiar story. If you're a child of the 90s, or you raised children in the 90s, you may know this story as Rackshack and Benny. I know people who've watched VeggieTales, don't I? That's right. The ones who begin to chuckle understand. And don't knock it, because God can reach you through cartoons as easily as he can reach you through a preacher. But you know this story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are Jewish men serving the king Nebuchadnezzar in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar commissions this gold statue, this idol, that's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and solid gold. Anybody remember how it was displayed in VeggieTales? What was it? The big bunny, big chocolate bunny. Not, so, not hollow, solid, the good kind. But he made this decree that everyone must bow down and worship the statue whenever they heard the music begin to play. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't make a big deal about it. But they did not bow down and worship this idol because they worshiped the one true God. The king had tattletales, and they ran to tell the king that his servants were not being obedient. Anybody have tattletales in your lives? Tattletales who ran to the king and said, these guys that you trust so much are showing you no respect. They're ignoring your commands. So instead of bowing down to worship when the music plays, they're not doing anything. They are ignoring you and disrespecting you. They played on his ego, and it paid off. The king was furious, and he ordered the three men to be thrown into a blazing hot furnace. Now, that's punishment. We all understand. We live in Texas during the summer. It's punishment. Don't punish a kid by sending them inside to their room. Punish them by making them sit outside. That's punishment. And this fire was so hot that it killed the men who were putting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. And you know I was about to say Rackshack and Benny, right? So it killed the men who threw them in. Make no mistake. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in real trouble. Serious trouble. There was no way this was going to turn out well for them. They saw what happened to the guards. It was not going to be a good day. That fire was hot times seven. That's what the word says. I don't know how you make a fire seven times hotter than fire, but he did it. If you do have your Bibles open to Daniel 3, if you look at verses 24 and 25, it says, But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Well, yes, your majesty, we certainly did. They replied, well, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Not only are they not dead, they're just walking around in there. And not only the three of them, but who's the fourth guy? Nebuchadnezzar said he looks like a god. I don't know what that looks like for sure, but that's what he saw. Now, Rakshak and Benny knew something that the king and his tattletales did not know. 
That was that God was in that furnace with them. Because they stood up for the one true God, God stood in the fire with them. If you'll continue in verses 26 and 27, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. I promise you, in the history of putting people in a blazing furnace, he had never had to say that before. Come out here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. This is my favorite part of this whole story. The last line says, not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They did not even smell like smoke. Remember, the guards got burnt up, and they never got in the fire. These guys were in the fire and came out smelling like they hadn't been near a fire. If you've ever sat around a campfire, it doesn't take long before you just start to smell like that smoke. Or if you're like me and you stand around your smoker and you're cooking outside, that's a great smell and I want that on me. But these guys walk out smelling like nothing had happened. Three men went into that furnace. Witnesses saw four men in that flame. Three men came out. But everybody knew that God was in that fire with them. That flame killed guards that didn't even go into the fire. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't even smell like smoke because God had their backs. As is often the case, one story leads to another. And the convenience of that this morning is it's in the same book and it's just a couple of pages over, Daniel 6. Daniel chapter 6 tells the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Everybody knows it, right? We're familiar with it. By the way, in case you want to watch it at home this afternoon, VeggieTales did this one too. It's called, Where is God When I Am Scared? There are several similarities between these two stories this morning. Let's just see if you notice them. Daniel was a faithful follower of the God of Israel. He gained favor with his king Darius and was given a high office. King Darius was fooled by some men who were jealous of Daniel into issuing a command to worship him and no other gods for a period of 30 days. Very intentional to get Daniel in trouble. The penalty for disobedience to King Darius was not a furnace, but rather a lion's den. These same men who were jealous of Daniel then posted up outside his house to catch him in the act of worshiping God instead of the king. Now, in today's world, these tattletales would have made a cell phone video and they would have posted it to social media. Because that's what we do in today's world when we want to tattle on somebody. But Daniel did what Daniel always did. He wasn't being openly defiant. He wasn't protesting this new rule. He didn't say, you can't tell me what to do. And yet he was in big trouble. And yes, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. But Daniel knew something that the king and his tattletales did not know. God was with him in that lion's den. 
He stood up for the one true God. So God stood in the lion's den with Daniel. And if you're looking in Daniel chapter 6, let's look at verses 19 through 23. And it says very early the next morning, after Daniel had been in the lion's den all night, very early the next morning, because King Darius knew he had been fooled. And he felt bad, so he didn't waste any time. He went very early the next morning. He got up and he hurried out to the lion's den. And when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? And I would imagine that between that end of that question and then the answer that was to follow, it must have seemed like forever for King Darius. But the answer was, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. And, and I love the way this one ends, just like the one about not smelling like smoke. It says, not a scratch was found on him. For he had trusted in his God. He had been in the lion's den all night. No way out. They didn't even sniff him. No scratch. They didn't even take a taste test. Nothing. Somehow, thrown into a den full of hungry lions, God said, nope. And the very next morning... Daniel was taken out of the den. The situation was real. Daniel was in the den with the lions. And those lions, you ever seen a lion? Anybody ever seen one? You ever been up close to one in the zoo? The Waco Zoo is fantastic because you can get close to animals. Especially that lion exhibit. I mean, there's a piece of glass between you and them. Piece of glass. And it scares me every time they hit that thing. Although I'm pretty sure they can't break it. They're scary. They're intimidating. And I bet you, if they're hungry enough, they could take care of any one of us. They could have easily ripped him to shreds, but God was in the den with Daniel. So what do these two stories have in common? Besides the fact that VeggieTales did cool versions of them. Here's a couple things I get. God's people were in scary situations that seemed hopeless. The outcomes seemed obvious. There was no way out. No way out. But in the middle of the hopelessness, there was hope. There was a great protector. That protector didn't watch from a distance. He was in the middle of the situation with his people. He provided sovereign protection. That's a big churchy word. He provided sovereign protection. And his people walked out. Kind of sounds like the Red Sea. They walked out. There were people standing there watching in both of these stories. These people who did not worship this same God saw evidence of this one true God. They also saw a God who stayed with his people when they needed him most. So God's people were saved and God was glorified. Have you ever been in a desperate situation? 
that seemed hopeless? I would bet most of us have. Maybe some more extreme than others. But all of us have been in a situation that we knew we had no control over. We knew it was real. We knew it was scary. We knew that we could not control the outcome. Did you realize that God was in the furnace? Or in the pit with you? The reality of that is most of the time we don't see that at the time. It's one of those Monday morning things where we see it later. Where we recognize how God protected us in certain situations. Or how he provided for us in certain situations when we had no answers. But let me tell you this, the Bible is full of God's promise that he's with us in the middle of the storms of life. It's also full of another promise. Not only will he be with us, but there will be storms. And I wish I could say something different, but it's just truth. There will be storms still in the Old Testament. If you look in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 2 through 3, it says, When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Notice the underlined parts. That's my translation, by the way. But it makes the point. When you go through deep waters, when you go through rivers of difficulty, and when you walk through the fire of oppression, not if, there's a promise. There's a promise. It's going to happen. It happens to all of us. I have a friend of mine named Dr. Randall. I have a lot of friends who are doctors, by the way. Not even close for me. But I have a lot of friends who are doctors. Dr. Randall O'Brien taught religion at Baylor University for years and years and years. And we were blessed enough at Meadowbrook years and years ago while he was still at Baylor that he came and served as an interim pastor for us for several months while we were looking for a pastor. And I got to hear him preach a whole lot. And one of the things that he said on occasion was a statement that has stuck with me for probably 20 years. One thing we can count on, all of God's children got issues. We all have problems. We all face situations, sometimes of our own making, sometimes not. But all God's children got issues. God doesn't say, if you go through difficulty, he says, when you go through difficulty, I am there. The problem is, when we're in the middle of that difficulty, sometimes we forget that last little bit. <laughs> I am. The great I am is there. Sometimes we forget. You know why? Because we're selfish and we're self-focused and we're trying to fix it ourselves. When we really should just sit back and say, okay, God, let me see what you got. What are you going to do? God says, I've got your back no matter what. Whether it's a furnace or a lion's den or the Red Sea that you get to walk through on dry land. Or whether it's that great story in the New Testament where Jesus is sleeping up in front of the boat when the storms, literal storms are coming around the disciples and they're all freaking out. And Jesus is taking a nap. There's the difference. There's why he is God and I am not. He's taking a nap because he's not concerned. You know why? Because he controls the wind and the waves. You know why we're concerned? Because we can't. 
And his response to the disciples was, in today's language, chill. I got it. Leave me alone. I got it. And we'll talk about your faith when I take my nap. <laughs> all of us know the 23rd Psalm, right? right? We hear it at funerals all the time anyway. Because it's comforting. I just want to look at two verses. My favorite verse is verse 5, but let's look at verse 4 to lead into it. It says, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Verse 5 says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. It's my favorite verse in there. When the difficulties and chaos of the world are swirling all around us, God says, have a seat. I got this. Have a seat. Hide and watch. I got it. Have you ever been so consumed with the difficulties of life that you couldn't eat or sleep? Most of us have. God says in these verses, relax. I'm bigger than your enemies. I'm bigger than your problems. I'm bigger than this storm. Well, there's no escaping the fact that we live in a fallen, broken, messed up world. It's just a fact. We're surrounded by trials and difficulties, chaos, sin, and evil on a daily basis. But there's also no escaping the fact that God is in the trenches of life with us. And that is what that is. Those difficulties, those trials, that's the trenches. For those of you with a military background, you understand that better than most. When you're in the trenches, what matters most when you're in the trenches, what matters most when you're in the foxhole is who is in there with you. Is his gun pointing the same way yours is? Because that's really all that matters. So I have a few questions for us this morning. Are you in the furnace? If you are, God's there. Are you in the lion's den this morning? If you are, God is there. Are you in the presence of your enemy this morning? Capital E, the big one, the one who hates you and does not want you to spend eternity with God. Are you in the presence of your enemy this morning? If you are, God is there. Look for him. As we close this morning, I want to share with you a promise of the Lord found in John 16, verse 33. Cling to this. Cling to this. This, this is the word directly from the Lord. This is Jesus. If you have a red letter Bible, it's in red. Jesus says in verse 16, chapter 16, verse 33, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. In the middle of the trial and the chaos, doesn't peace sound great? Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. There's the promise. But here's the other. Here is the comfort. But take heart. Relax. Chill. 
because I have overcome the world and nothing in it can overcome you. I added that part, but that's what he's saying. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. There's nothing you're going to face that is bigger than me. Stick close to me and we'll win. So I have a suggestion for us this morning. Let's pray and let's thank God for his faithfulness to always be in the trenches with us.